Our scripture reading this afternoon, this evening, afternoon, is from two portions, one from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 50, and then we'll also be reading Ephesians chapter 1, a few verses in the letter to the Ephesians. So beginning in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the last chapter of that book, we'll be reading verses 15 through 21. As Joseph was used of God to save the whole known world around Palestine through Egypt and the resource of food that they had, his family later came. He met his father after many years. After his father died, we have this account. So Genesis 50, verse 15. Hear God's true and eternal word. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive. I pray thee, now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now, we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them, And spake kindly unto them. And now we go to the New Testament, to the letter of Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 1, and we'll read the first seven verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace. From God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Thus far in God's holy and true word. And 
dear congregation, in some of our preparatory messages of late for the Lord's Supper, um, we have been looking at the figures of forgiveness that we find in the Bible. We saw that there are so many um, in a list that was tentatively made. We found 16 different pictures. They speak of God's great willingness to forgive. But not only that, they, they also speak of God's willingness that you and that I would believe that He is willing to forgive us. He wants to make a point. Two or three figures, in a sense, would have made that point. But you see, He wants to make it again and again and again so that each and every one of us would understand that forgiveness is something that God willingly offers. He wants you to understand it in numerous forms and figures. And the ones that we have considered so far are these. Forgiveness portrayed as the canceling of a debt. In that figure, sin is taken as a debt and forgiveness is seen as a pardoning of that debt. The second figure we considered was forgiveness portrayed as the washing away of dirt so that sin there has the figure of a stain or a blemish and forgiveness is as the water or as the soap that would cleanse that blemish away. Then we saw forgiveness um, portrayed as erasing of a criminal record where sin then is that crime that was committed and forgiveness is the erasing of that record so that it's no longer there where the person will no longer be prosecuted for it because the record's gone. And then the fourth one that we saw was forgiveness portrayed as God remembering sin no longer. And in that picture... Sin is like a memory. It is a record in the mind. Not a record on tablets that could be erased, but a record in the mind. You see what God's doing. He's, he's in essence covering every basis. You could say, yes, He erased it from the records, but will He erase it from His mind? Yes. Voluntarily. He chooses to forget the sins that we have committed when they are forgiven. And then for each one of these figures, remember, there's that reality of Christ and and, and how the forgiveness is obtained. So our debt, yes, it was paid for because it was placed upon Jesus. He became the debtor and he paid the debt when he died on the cross. And the figure of, of filth being washed away, our filth was transferred to Christ, and He was the one seen as the one full of blemish. Our criminal record was imputed upon Jesus, and He was condemned as the criminal. Our sins were placed upon Jesus, and so God remembers them no longer in us, but remember, He does remember them or he did remember them in Christ and that's why he suffered and died and today we will be considering really what is the most basic definition and concept of forgiveness 
to, the, to a degree in both Testaments, old and new. This is why we read a portion in the Old Testament and a portion in the New Testament. In both of these, the, the word for forgiveness of sin is forgiveness of sin. It is not washing away. It is not, um, it is not um, erasing sin. It is forgiving sin. That is the most basic word for forgiveness um, in both Testaments. And, and it means this. To a degree, again, in both Hebrew and Greek, there's a little difference. We, we will look at it. It's the concept of sin being carried away. That's why our theme today is forgiveness, the carrying of sins away. And so in our first point, the forgiveness of sins, we will look at these two passages in Genesis and Ephesians, and we will, we will see the Hebrew and we will see the Greek for the word forgiveness, which is mostly used. And, and this is really the foundation word. Every other figure regarding forgiveness kind of comes forth out of this one of sins being carried away. Because of what the word means. So if we go to our Old Testament passage first. In Genesis chapter 50. Um, the verse that I want to repeat is verse 17. Where, where they are pleading through Joseph. Pleading to Joseph. The words of the father. And then adding their own. Asking for forgiveness. That was Genesis 50, verse 17. So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did evil unto thee, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Now the word forgive in this verse is the word naza. Um, I will say the word in Hebrew and in Greek because these, these are words that we really should know and it helps us differentiate what I'm talking about. Um, Naza is Hebrew and it means to carry away. So see, that's what they're saying. They're saying, carry away, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, carry away the trespass of the servants of the God of thy Father. We, we will look in this very point at the word forgive in English and see a connection with this very concept of carrying away. Just We use the word forgiveness and we know it means the idea of pardon, but we don't think of it immediately with the thought of carrying away. So the word naza would mean immediately that. It means carry away. And so let's, let's look at the very concept of, of what's happening here. We know the story. We don't, we don't need all the details. But we, we know how Joseph's brother had been very sinful. Boys and girls, if we were to put a pile of those sins, the reason we have to start thinking this way is that this is what they're wanting. They're wanting Joseph to put all those sins together in a pile and carry it away. What, what is the pile of their sins, their sins against Joseph? Well, they were envious against Joseph. They were jealous against Joseph. They were covetous. Remember, they loved that cult of many colors and they wanted it for themselves. They wanted the favoritism that the father showed to Joseph that wasn't right in and of itself but they were coveting that for them 
They wanted that position of favor. So they were jealous. They were covetous. It led them to anger and to pride and to hatred and even to murder in their hearts and to lies and to deception. See, that's the pile of sins. And these brothers got to a point where they understand the record against us is great. It is heavy. Joseph, put it all in a pile now and carry it away. Send it far. Think of how big that pile was. Think of how cruel they were to their father. Day after day, they saw that father. Perhaps they went to talk to him, and again they saw him with tears because Jacob was thinking of his son in the wilderness and his thought thinking how he must have suffered when he was eaten by the wild animals. I'll never see Joseph again. I shouldn't have sent him. I should have sent another servant. And that father was probably just eating himself up with guilt and with sorrow and with sadness. And those brothers saw the sadness that they caused to their father and they never revealed it. Well, then after everything was revealed, said and done, and here they are back into Egypt. Joseph already revealed who he was. He already had that moment where he said, you, you, you are forgiven. God, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people alive. And, and they've been established. They've had their place. But see, in the minds of those people, of those brothers, they, they don't understand the fullness of the concept of forgiveness. It, perhaps they think, well, God may have the power to forgive, but no human could do that. And in their minds, they're thinking, there must be records of what we did in some papyrus in Egypt, some marble wall in these halls in granite. There may be so many scribes that Joseph has put to his charge to write down the record of all our wrong. Joseph, please carry all that away. They are certain that now that Jacob died, Joseph will do something like, like we read, that he will now requite, that he will now um, deal with them for the evil that they did unto him. See, in their minds, the record is all there. The pile was not carried away. They were, in essence, asking Joseph to do what he actually did many years back. And this is where it proves it. Where in verse 19, Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And what did Joseph do? He said, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly unto them. This, this last verse is like a proof that he really did carry those sins away to the point where he could feed them now, comfort them, and speak kindly to them. He had done what they were asking him to do. They just didn't believe it was actually possible. So they're asking him to do something that he already did. And that's what forgiveness is. It is to get those sins and cast them far away. 
Now, the rest of God's Word, whenever you read the Bible, beloved, if you want to check, you know, you have some ways to find out what the original Word is, and you will be impressed to see that basically everywhere that you read the word forgiveness or forgive, it will be that word naza, which means to carry sin away. God wants us to think of it in a picture to understand that our sins really do leave when He forgives But then you will find other words, just like we have different words for carrying away. We can say put away. We can say cast it away. We can say take it away. And you'll find this as well in Hebrew. You'll find other words. And then sometimes it's translated in a different way for us to understand. It's not the same word for forgiveness, naza, but it is the same concept of forgiveness. But they use the literal words. So, for example, 2 Samuel 12, 13 Reads, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. That is not the word naza there, but it is the Hebrew for put away in, in a different way. Just like put away is different from, from carry away. In English, we have two words for this. Well, you have it in Hebrew as well. But, of course, it's the same concept. It's, it's to have sin moved over and passed on. And, and this is Nathan, the prophet, saying to David, David, yes, your sin was that of adultery and murder. They are piled. But what did God do? He removed them. He put them away. And you, David, will not die. God will spare your life. That will be the proof that he forgave you. Um, in Zechariah 3.9, we have this, I will remove, so this is God speaking, and He says, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. So that's another word in Hebrew, but you see it's the same concept. It can also be translated, I will throw away. Um, so see, this word basic for forgiveness has other ways of being spoken of. Now let's go to our New Testament passage, and we'll see that when when... When the Hebrew was not used as much, and now we have God's people many years in the future from the day of, of Joseph that we read in Genesis, when, when we get to Ephesians, Paul is writing in Greek. He still understands Hebrew. He can speak Hebrew. But there are many people who aren't speaking Hebrew anymore. They're speaking Greek because the Greek world has, has infiltrated, and, and it's now the more common language Paul, so Paul is speaking in, in Greek, and we read in Ephesians chapter 1, and we got to verse 7. I'll, I'll read verse 7 again of Ephesians 1. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And you see there, too, you have the word forgiveness, which is the most basic word for forgiveness of sins. And almost everywhere that you see in the Greek, in the New Testament, forgiveness, it is from this root word that is called aphiemi. So naza in the Old Testament is very similar to aphiemi in the New Testament. There's a little difference though. Naza is more active. It gives the idea of you carrying something away. Aphiemi is a little more passive. It means to leave and let go. It's almost the idea that you won't touch sin. Just let it go. 
Let it pass. Give it up. It's really more connected to the word forgive, as we will see in a little bit in the English. Just give it. Give it away. Don't keep it. Don't treasure it. Don't show it in the face of the person who offended you and still be bitter toward them. Just give it up. Give it away. That's a fiamy. But you see, it's the same concept. It's the idea of letting sin go, letting it be removed. Hebrew is a little more active. You actually do it in the, in the figure. In the Greek, it's the idea of just kind of letting it go on its own. Or you, yeah, you could be active in it, but it, it doesn't put you immediately in there in, in the figure. So that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, if we think of the little context of Ephesians, it won't be a whole sermon on, on this blessed passage. But Paul is speaking of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in, in verse 3. And he starts listing them. And we, we didn't read the whole portion, but he mentions election first, the blessing of election, and then how it's connected to the blessing of holiness, and then thirdly, the blessing of predestination and adoption, and then it gets to verse 7, and we read the blessing of redemption and forgiveness. And notice that the way Paul puts it, he's basically equating the two. They are very connected, redemption with forgiveness. Look again at verse 7 of Ephesians 1. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Now let's put together, since now we understand this forgiveness is the letting go of sin. It is sin being removed. But see, the word redemption shows how that is done. Because redemption, it means to release a people or a land or an object from bondage through the payment of a price. So the word remission actually helps us understand how forgiveness is possible. How can sin be let go? Well, because a price was paid. Jesus' blood was shed. And so sin can be let go. Sin can be carried away. And now again, like I said, if you go through the New Testament, almost everywhere you see the word forgiveness, it is telling us that it is this. It's the aphiomy. It is sin going away. Um, one example, Acts 5.31, Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The letting go and the going away of sin. A theomy. And the New Testament does something similar to the Old where there's some other words used um, with, for this very same concept. In, in Hebrews 9.26 we see the word put away. Um, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that's a Greek word that is literally put away. Very similar to the Naza in the Hebrew. Also another element, another key here is when you read in your Bibles in the New Testament, remission of sin, very likely it is the ephemi, but just translated remission. And it shows, a theomy means so much sin going away that sometimes it's not just the word forgiveness, it's the word more literal, remission, where the sin is going away. 
One example is Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood at the Lord's Supper. Jesus speaks of his blood and he says of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He's saying for the aphiomy of sins, for the going away, for the letting go, for the leaving of sins. And it's sometimes translated remission. And that word kind of helps us understand it better. Now, before we go to our second point, there's one important thing to say. If we were living in the 1600s and we were to think of the word forgiveness, it would be closer to our minds to the concept of letting go. Because as you look at the origins of the word forgiveness, it sounds very like forgive in and of itself because it has the concept of giving and it has a prefix for And the giving here is the concept of of giving in a sense of allowing and granting and and giving up. And and the for in the idea of giving from or giving away. So that the old English would sound more to those ears like the idea of it going away. Leaving and not staying. To forgive. The give there is the idea of just give it away. Give that sin away. Let it go. Remit it. It even has a concept then that you, that you also release the person because the sin is gone. It's given up. But see, we've used the word forgive for so long. In our, in our minds, it, yeah, it means pardon. But we're not thinking of the leaving and the going. But this is our first point, just really looking at this word, the concept of forgiveness. But in our second point, we're going to see sin cast far away. What we're doing here in this point is really bringing a few other figures. And when I originally gave you all those figures that we found, looking at them very carefully, there are at least three of them, and we'll look at a fourth concept in this point, that really all belong to this thought of sin being carried away. But these figures that we will look at add an element to the carrying away, a very important element, a very encouraging element of the carrying away. This carrying away is not near. It is far. And the carrying away as pertain God's to you means... That He is the one who does the carrying. And in many of the cases, it's not just a carrying, it is a casting. It is a throwing away. And so, um, if we go back to Joseph and his brothers, that's what they wanted. Joseph, in our minds, all those sins are there in your mind. They are in your record. They are etched into your memory. And we plead with you, please cast them away. And then Joseph says, it is done. They are dealt with. They are not in the bank of my memory as if on the to-do list where I have to deal with them list. No, they've been dealt with. You are cleansed in my minds because sin has gone. See, Joseph understood the grace of forgiveness. 
Look at this first figure, beloved. These are very familiar. You'll, you'll, you'll know we've run across them in God's Word. Here are four figures. Three of them we've looked at. One, one is more like an illustration. It's, not, it's more like a whole ceremony that spoke of what we're talking about. Sins being cast away. The first one is casting sin into the depth of the sea. See, it's the same concept. It is carrying sin away. But it speaks of distance. The depths of the sea. This is from Micah seven nineteen. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Now, as I've said before, little children, this... This is, I can't help but think that this is for you. This is for every child in heart. We need pictures. This is another picture in God's Word. Think of going to, to, an, to, to a ship, not, not the coast, because from the coast you don't cast into the depths of the sea. It'll, it'll fall on the plateau of the sea. That's not the figure here. The figure is that you're going somewhere far, and you see the depths of the sea, and it's cast into the depths of the sea. Think of a little stone that you would have, and that stone represents your sins. And you are in a transatlantic ship so that you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And then you cast that stone. What are the chances that anyone in this world will ever find that stone again? Now add two things here. One is the word cast. It means to throw. It means to eject and to scatter. It does not mean to drop. If you go to the edge of a pond and drop a stone, you'll find it. No, you're to throw it. And even in a pond, if you throw it, you won't find it. So that's the picture. And then add another element of of greatness here. And it is where where God's word says, Thou will cast. It's not you. It is God. It is not other humans. It is God casting your sins in the depths of the sea. There may be some who are very strong and who can cast stones very far, but you'll agree with me that the farther sin goes, the better. And and God has everlasting arms with which to cast our sins into the depths of the sea. That's the first picture. Then we have a second picture, and it is that of casting sin behind God's back. Isaiah 38, 17, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. See, this is the prophet speaking to God, Lord, thou hast cast my sins behind thy back. Now, here God himself is being spoken of in human terms because he is a spirit and does not have a body like men. But think in terms of yourself. If you're throwing something behind your back, the whole idea is that you're going in that direction. You cast it behind your back because you have no more interest and you will see it no longer. And think of God 
casting something behind his back. God is a being who goes forward and he is not going to go back to to correct something he has ever done because he never made a mistake and he casts our sin back. The whole concept is the the impossibility that God will have any interest to go pursue those sins any longer. They, They are cast by him behind his back. That's the second figure. And the word cast is the same word in, in, in the Hebrew, which means to throw, to, to eject, to scatter. And then the third figure is that very well-known figure of forgiveness, of removing sin as far as the east is from the west. And you see by now what I mean, that these figures all fit into this category. What, what, what seems to be happening is this. Forgiveness, the Naza and Ephiami, are, are the foundation. If forgiveness in terms of the foundation definition are this word Naza and Ephiami in the Old and New Testament. Question against it? Matthew Henry says this concerning the East and West. He says, So that they shall never be laid to our charge, nor rise up in judgment against us. The sins of believers shall be remembered. The concept of throwing away, of caring, and how far? In the depths of the seas, in the back of God's infinite being, and now as far as the east is from the west. And there's a, there's a sense of infinity here. Because how far west can you go to then cast an item as far east as you can, or vice versa? See, God is with this figure showing, I will throw sin as far as necessary so that it will never be seen, it will never be heard of, it will never be considered, you will never be called because it's canceled. You will never be called to question against it. Matthew Henry says this concerning the East and West. He says, So that they shall never be laid to our charge, nor rise up in judgment against us. The sins of believers shall be remembered no more, shall not be mentioned unto them. They shall be sought for and not found. If we thoroughly forsake them, God will thoroughly forgive them. That is what God is saying. And again, this is God's action, not ours. Psalm 103.12 As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103.12 So those are the three figures. And in a fourth figure, like I said, is more in the ceremony. It's not a word. It is not in a verse. It's really in a concept. It's in a ceremony that God's people were invited every year to celebrate. I believe in this one festival, the Day of Atonement, the the pinnacle of the day was a ceremony that communicated exactly this, the most foundational concept of forgiveness. That in forgiveness, God takes sins and carries them away as far as necessary so that they will never come back to haunt you. The Day of Atonement, remember, boys and girls, remember that was a day in which there were two goats. 
These animals were always to be looked upon with pity. They had no sins of their own. But because they took the sins of the people, they suffered in the place of the people. They were pictures of Jesus. The first goat received God's people's sins upon them. He was slain and put upon the altar. And atonement was made. That's where where sin was represented as being paid for. But then God gave in this one ceremony, it was only once a year that they had this picture before us, where then they would get the other goat, and that goat was called the scapegoat. And that word in for that name in Hebrew meant entire removal, complete destruction. That's the name Azazel, which means scapegoat. Entire removal. And let me read Leviticus 16.21 to see God's very own word about it. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel. So they were to, to visualize, in a sense, every theft, every adultery, every murder, every slaughter, everything that was committed in all of Israel was confessed upon that goat and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand, and this is important, of a fit man into the wilderness. Not a weak man who could only go a mile and get tired but a proper man who could go as far as possible into the wilderness. In verse 22, And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Do you see there the picture of sin being carried away? And in this case... Not into an ocean, not east or west, but on a victim, on an animal. And this leads to our third point. Sin cast nearby. When they were casting their sins upon that poor victim, that live goat, he was very close to them. But then God wanted to show that that sin would go away. So that goat was taken by this fit man. The whole idea is it had to be a man who could go into the wilderness carrying a goat and walk mile after mile as far as he could, set that goat down. And as we hear in some of the records that that man would stay there and make sure the goat went in the opposite direction of Jerusalem and waited there until he could hardly see him anymore, until he couldn't see him in the horizon. And that's when he could go back. And he went back with the news that sin had gone away. See, boys and girls, it's exactly what we're talking about. Sin's being carried away. Sin's being cast away. And the whole idea is that it is now in a place that it can't go back to haunt us. God, God will not use it against us. He has forgiven us. He has cleansed us. And, and, and I know I may have said this before, but I think this, this was such a beautiful observation by, by Spurgeon in one of the sermons that he preaches about the scapegoat. He says that he was visiting a, a museum in England somewhere 
And he was contemplating this picture. It was beautiful, but kind of eerie, of, of a wilderness. And as he studied the picture, he noticed that, that somewhere close to a rock, kind of staying behind a rock, was the picture of a goat, kind of fallen and dead. And then he looked at the name of the picture, the painting, and it was called The Scapegoat. And he shares that the first thoughts he had were of how that painting should not exist. Because he's saying the whole idea of the concept of the scapegoat was that sin would go so far away that no one in Jerusalem would ever see that goat again. He would fall into some ravine. He would be eaten by wild beasts. And that would be a picture that sin was carried Away, And he thought this very painting betrays the meaning of the scapegoat. And you can understand it's, it's not a sin, I don't think, to have painted that. But just his reaction to it shows the picture of the scapegoat and what it's meant to be. But see, for us, God speaks of it as far away. But in closing, beloved, we need to understand for sins to go far away, for it to be cast into that depth of the sea, for God with His mighty, almighty hand cast it behind His eternal back where you see sin no more, we need to understand it was cast very near. Even that picture was before them. It was cast upon that scapegoat that was among them and in their flocks just a few days before. And that in itself was a picture of who would take those sins for us. And we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the scapegoat. So this is what I mean, sin cast nearby. If you were Peter, sins would leave your record and enter upon the bosom of Christ as he stood before Caiaphas. While Peter denied him outside, Jesus was becoming his scapegoat inside. Just a few, just a few yards from where Peter stood. Peter denied Jesus. Jesus took the sins of Peter. If you were John, the very bosom upon which you rested and laid your head would be the heart where sin would soon lay, your own sins. If you were the woman weeping at the feet of Jesus, see, her joy was so great because perhaps she understood something of how her sins would soon become the record of the blessed one whose feet she washed with her tears. Soon the Father would place his hands upon Jesus and put the sins of all his people upon him. And he was near. And in a way, we could say he was near to us. He was flesh and blood upon this very world. If sins were in the depths of the seas, you really can't find it, but you can see Jesus on Calvary's cross. And if you and I were there in Bethlehem or Bethany, we could go to Calvary and we could see Jesus right there. And He was bearing the sins of His people. Sins were so near. 
Think of the thief on the cross. If you were the thief on the cross who repented and believed, his sins went from his bosom to Christ's, just a few feet away. See, what God is doing is this. For us, it goes far. But it's actually very near in the very bosom of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And it was very close to Christ's heart to the point where God's word says he became sin for us. Never having sinned any of them. But that's how sin was upon him. It was his record. It was his blemish. It was in the memory of God as if Christ committed those sins. That's how close they were. So to carry your sins away, to have them cast so far as the depths of the seas, they had to be cast upon Jesus. And that's what I mean about being cast nearby. Now, this figure of forgiveness, it's interesting how it has built into it even the concept, the need for repentance. Because we we can't speak of forgiveness without understanding also how do we obtain it. We must repent of our sins and confess them. And God forgives them. See, this very concept demands that reality because who of us could say, Lord, carry sins away and then still hold it in our hands because we love it? Lord, cast them in the depths of the sea, but they're still in my heart and in my mind because I want to keep practicing it. See, we we are confronted with our very petition when we ask for forgiveness and we're asking God to take it away, if you have the right heart, you're asking God to take it away so that you commit it no longer. And you even find some of the words for putting sin away turned around in terms of mortification. Put your sins away, meaning repent of your sins. God will put them away. He will forgive them. And the command to you and to me is put your sins away, which is repentance. So that forgiveness has in it the concept of repentance. If if I am to have sin go away and that it would be remitted, that means that I cannot with my right or my left be committing it at the same time or with my mind or with my voice. I want sin far away, which means I can't keep committing sin so close to my heart. If I want sin away, I must want a holy life because that's what it means to want sin away. Holiness, righteousness. So the very word forgiveness, even in the English, not just naza in Hebrew and afiami in Greek, but forgiveness in English. If I want sin to be given away and to be seen no more, completely going away, I can't be committing it. I can't be practicing it. 
If I want it in the bosom of Christ on the cross, it can't be in my bosom in my life. So that forgiveness rightly understood demands repentance rightly undertaken. And we go to God for that. And He gives it. We read the passage that God gave repentance and gave forgiveness. So through this figure, we see how connected it is to repentance itself and, of course, to faith. Because if you don't believe that Jesus is a Savior of sinners, there's nothing to repent of. Why would you ask forgiveness? Without faith, your sins will remain upon your heart. They won't be cast away because you don't want them away. You might reform your life because doing certain things, people won't accept me. But you won't be repentant and you won't be forgiven. But when you trust that Jesus takes those sins upon himself, that he is your scapegoat, and he's gone to the wilderness of hell itself so that those sins would be paid for, you will look to him with hope and say, Lord, forgive mine too. In all of these sins that I was used to practicing, Lord, I want them no longer. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me holy. Make me pure. That's the fifth, the sixth figure of forgiveness that we have seen. Let us pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank Thee, O Lord, for Thy grace. We thank Thee for the grace of forgiveness. We thank Thee, Lord, for these multitudes of figures that paint before us how willing Thou art to forgive and how willing Thou art that we believe of Thy willingness so that we would be convinced, so that we would not fear, and so that we would come to Thee. Lord, we pray that Thou would give us repentance. Lord, we thank Thee that Thou art willing to forgive, but because of our waywardness, because of our frailty, because of our attraction to sin, Lord, we so easily sin and return to sin. And we plead, O Lord, that Thou would give us truly repentant hearts that would hate sin, that would put away sin, that would mortify sin, that would see sin for what it is. There is nothing good in it. There is nothing desirable. It is like trash that must be removed and taken away as far as the east is from the west. And so we pray, O Lord, forgive us for all our sins. Give us true repentance. Give us faith to believe in thy willing heart to forgive. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.